Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com national content editor. Today is Thursday, May 6th. We are going to talk about John Means' no-hitter last night. We are going to talk about some interesting effects of the extra innings rule, talk about where Byron Buxton is playing, what's going on at Angel Stadium, and get to our usual rants and raves. Matt, before we get to John Means' no-hitter last night, I, I did want to ask you a trivia question because I saw this Ooh. yesterday. I found it interesting, and I made sure not to ask you in advance so that you would have to flail and try to guess. Okay. Who, dating back to September 1st of last year, so the month of September and this season to date, do you know who has the most hits in Major League Baseball? Going Starting when? September 1st of last year, so the final month of 2020 and all of 2021 to date. Most hits in Major League Baseball. Obviously, someone random. Otherwise, yes. you, would, you wouldn't be asking me this question. Absolutely, yes. Um, <laughs> a, na- a national leaguer, I can tell you that. Okay, well, that gives me something to go on. Um, oof. Um, I'll give you another hit. Is there, a, I don't know, a particular place that just invents batting average leaders? <laughs> <laughs> um. So it's someone on the Rockies? It might be someone on the Rockies. I'm going to tell you, it's Rymel Tapia, who has 68 hits uh, just ahead of DJ LeMahieu and Tommy Edmond. Rymel Tapia, how many? How long would it have taken you to guess that if I wasn't giving you hints? Um, I probably would have gotten there eventually just because of the whole Coors Field thing. I probably would have started just guessing Rockies at some point, but it would have <laughs> taken me a while. But, you know, we were talking last week about the type of players you want at Coors Field and like whether they should try and like load up on guys who don't strike out. And like, he's actually done a pretty good job of putting the ball in play. And, um, you know, last year he hit 321 this year, he's hitting 312. Um, not a ton of power. Um, but he's maybe a decent fit there. I don't know. Again, three, you know, hitting 312 in Colorado is different than hitting 312 in, you know, uh, Detroit, but still it's, um, He's interesting. I'm once again asking for the Rockies to trade for David Fletcher and Nick Madrigal <laughs> to do it immediately. Okay, <laughs> this is not the point of this show here. Uh, John Means threw a no-hitter yesterday, and it was definitely a no-hitter and nothing else. It was extremely only a no-hitter. And it was really cool because I'm going to I'm gonna pat myself on the back a little bit here and point out that I wrote about John Means maybe being like a breakout guy in January. And we're totally going to ignore what I wrote about the Dodgers setting the all-time win record like three weeks ago. That one never happened. Um, But I I vaguely remember like the first week of January, 
uh, maybe pitching Matt on an idea of saying, hey, I, I want to write about John Means. And it was through Slack. So I couldn't see you, but I could just feel your eyes rolling into the back of your head. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, it's January. We need content. Um, and I did it. Hey, look at John Means. He has been awesome. He has a 137 ERA. Um, if you actually go back to last year, he hit one earned run in each of his final starts, four starts of last year. So over his last 11 starts, a 142 ERA. And yesterday in Seattle, 12 strikeouts, no walks. And he had 27 batters faced. 26 of them saw a first pitch strike. And I think my favorite part here, he allowed one hard hit ball. And it wasn't even that hard hit. Ty, Ty Friends hit one at 96.5 miles an hour, where we call a hard hit ball 95. And that was a pop out. And he was just like, I know the Mariners aren't very good. And I don't want to you know take anything away from him, but they're not. Um, <laughs> But what I really liked about watching him was his changeup. And like you think about changeups now in the sense of Devin Williams' airbender, right? Or some guys have like this darting, diving changeup. He doesn't. Like it's it's a straight changeup that's like it fulfills the classic properties of a changeup that just looks like a fastball but slower, you know? And if you actually go over to the the run value page on Baseball Savant, his changeup uh, is tied with Trevor Bauer's four-seamer for the most valuable pitch in baseball this year which, wow, that was awesome. Um, do you want to praise John Means or do you just want to get right into the third strike not being a strikeout thing? <laughs> I want to uh, praise John Means for a second. I also want to point out, Mike, that you know I was actually going to bring up your piece from January, I was going to praise you. Instead, you went and praised yourself. You know, which <laughs> well, is, is a little, a little, a little less, um, <laughs> less valuable in my mind. Yet the changeup yesterday uh, through 30, 35 times, got twenty four swings, fourteen whiffs on those twenty four swings. Um, the pitch was working. The thing about John Means, and one of the things you wrote about in the piece in January that was pretty funny, that kind of shows how weird his year was. Was last year it was you know obviously the short season, and he let up like allowed some of like the flukiest home runs you'd ever imagine. Like one he gave up to Tyler Wade, where the only park it would have been out of was Yankee Stadium. It was like right. one of those you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> So um, it's um, it's it's also – you also go look at the Baseball Savant page and uh, you can look at expected weight on base. And this is this is like basically all you need to know to know that John Means was kind of a quote-unquote breakout candidate. Is last year his expe- expected weight on base allowed based on quality of contact was 268, which is like way above average. This year it's 266, basically identical. Um, of course, last year his ERA was 453. This year it's 137. Um, and the expected ERA is basically right in between. The, the, expect, the expected ERA in each of those years is basically exactly between those two numbers. Um, so um, for those paying close attention, as Mike was, and to your credit, Mike, bravo, um, there was reason to believe that, that John Means was going to really be an impact player this year, and he has been. Yes, and um, it's kind of funny to see his his career trajectory because in 2019, he made the All-Star team, but everybody kind of looked at it as, uh, someone's got to be the All-Star from the Orioles. I guess it's going to be that guy. And then last year, you know, in addition to being a shortened COVID season, his, his father unfortunately passed away in the middle of the year, so that kind of interrupted his season as well. And then he came back, and he looks like a legit guy now, you know, and not even necessarily for the reasons I thought, like, when I was looking at it last year, his velocity was like shot up through the roof. And that's not even necessarily the case as much anymore. Um, but he's throwing strikes and he is using that changeup and he's really good. And I guess I hate to even ask this, but I suppose I have to. Um, he's 28. 
and he's going to be a free agent after 2024. Is he on the next good Orioles team? And if not, how long is he on this Orioles team? I was actually, I was looking at that this morning because I was curious um, when, you know, when he becomes a free agent. He's definitely kind of in that gray area. Um, he has not even reached, next year is going to be his first year of arbitration. So like his salary hasn't really started to go up yet. I kind of think they'll keep him around. I think there's a world, first of all, like he's at a point in his career that like, I'm not sure, it's one of those where I think he's more valuable to the Orioles right now than he probably is as a trade piece. I could be wrong, but like, you know, the, the Orioles have a lot of, you know, interesting players in their system. They've got another high draft pick this year. Like, it's not hard to see them like on the ascent in the next couple of years. And like, I wouldn't, I could see why you would want um, uh, some some players to sort of be like part of that entire wave. And he's kind of well-situated um, to be one of those guys. And also one thing I'll mention is, the the people running the Orioles now came from the Astros, who were like at rock bottom and then kind of worked their way up, kind of what they're doing with the Orioles. And one thing to note about that those Astros teams is yes, they were like they they tore everything down and they built they built it up from the bottom, but there were a few players who kind of like rode the wave the entire time. Jose Altuve, George Springer, um, Dallas Keuchel. So like yes, there, there was some like core identity that kind of was there from the beginning and, and kept it all the way through. And I could see the Orioles wanting to do something similar. And, you know, if we think Means is now like a legit, I don't know, I wouldn't call him like an ace, but like number, you know, what you would call like a classic, you know, really good number two starter. Um, I could see why, you you know, you'd want to keep him around. Uh, it's funny that you brought up the Astros comparison because that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, you don't just go out and acquire players like you have to have some improvement from within. The only difference is because I was going to make the Keiko comparison, too. And then I looked it up. Uh he was younger, right? So he was really bad at 24 and 25 for those terrible Astros teams. And then he broke out when he was 26 means is 28. I don't know if there's that much of a difference. I think the one thing I disagree with you on is I think he would be a pretty popular trade candidate. I mean, look at this, look at all the teams around baseball right now who are suffering with injuries and like desperate to fill out a starting rotation. You know, like it's hard for me to think of a team that wouldn't have a spot for him uh, as a contender, you know, like everybody needs a starter right now. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to, yeah, I guess it's hard to value, put, put a value on a player three years from free agency, but let's, let's, I want to go back to talking about the drop third strike rule. Cause that was, you know, that was the only thing that stood between John means and a perfect game yesterday, a perfect game. Apparently Seattle is the place for perfect games. I think the last yes. two, I think the last two have been in Seattle or the Felix Hernandez and, uh, Philip Umber were both in Seattle. Are those the last two perfect games? I didn't remember where Philip Umber's was, but uh, I'll take your word for it. It is. <laughs> It is deeply hilarious that he he threw a no hitter, did not allow a hit, did not issue a walk, did not have an error behind him, did not hit anybody, did not get a perfect game, which I think I saw a lot of people uh, complaining that on like the uh, on on the front page of the site and on game day it showed perfect game for a while, and I think that's just because like no one who coded anything ever contemplated this was a thing that could possibly happen, right? This was the first time this has ever happened. There'd never been a no hitter before where there were no walks, no errors, or hit by pitches that did not end up being a perfect game. We've played, I guess I could have looked this up, but I'm just going to make up a number, 700 million games of baseball in the history of the sport. <laughs> and this has never, ever happened before. <laughs> and I just love there are still things that can be new. Like, it, it shouldn't be possible. <laughs> what, what is your general take on the drop third strike rule? Um, everybody hates it, and I don't. And I feel like that makes me wrong. When I'm on the other, I mean, I, let me put it this way. I do not passionately, passionately care about this as much as everybody else seems to. 
Um, but to me, I can, I, I get the argument here, right? Like the pitcher did his job. He threw a strike. He should get credit for that. He got the third strike, obviously. Um, I still feel like it's a team game and the play has to be completed. And if we're just saying that it doesn't matter if the catcher catches the ball or not anymore, uh, I don't know if I like that, you know, like I, I, also see the other side of that which is like well if it wasn't a strikeout and if it was just a ball uh with nobody on base then it wouldn't who would have cared right i don't mind this that much i don't quite understand why everybody hates it as much as they do it does it's just it, i mean i've never liked it it always just seems weird to me um because like again the pitcher did the job the batter failed so badly <laughs> it's like the batter failed so badly and yet they're kind of rewarded for it um the only argument i'd ever heard that kind of made sense but isn't actually true is the idea that like, oh, every play needs a put out, which if that's true, okay, but it's not true because foul third strike is an out. There's no put out. Um, batted ball hits a base runner is an out. There's no put out. So like, it's not even true that that's the case. If it were the case, I'd actually buy this rule a bit more. If it was true that every out required a put out, you know, like a, a, a fielder catching a baseball, um, I would buy it a bit more but since that's not the case um it doesn't really make any sense to me what really made it extra funny i think was so it's obviously not a perfect game because the runner reached first base like there's no argument about that whatsoever and then the runner uh sam haggerty like immediately got <laughs> trying to steal so he got erased like right away and it was still you know 27 up 27 down ish because you know he got thrown out um, I really, I thought this was funny too. Our friend Jason Catania tweeted this and he's like, there've been three no hitters this year. We're not counting Bumgarner. And the only reason that they weren't perfect games is because in the means game was a drop to third strike. When Carlos Rodon did it, it hit by pitch. When Joe Musgrove did it, it was hit by pitch. That's it. That That is the difference between three no hitters in the first six weeks and three perfect games. In the, so in no, the no walks and no walks in any of them. No, no walks, no walks, or yeah, that's it's that's that's amazing. Or hits, obviously, or no hits. Yeah. And hey, we're gonna break no hitter records, right? I mean, offense is down a lot. Pitchers are insanely good. I mean, the only thing I can think of that would prevent us from doing so is just that maybe they won't let pitchers go nine innings because that's just not a thing that happens that much anymore. I believe the record for no hitters in a season is seven, set in a couple different years, and we're already up to three, and maybe three and seven ninths of a no hitter if that's how you want to think about madison bumgarner <laughs> right <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna set this record like i'm i'm gonna guarantee it right now wow guaranteed joe namath style well uh, yeah, do you disagree um i mean it's, it's certainly in play you know we're like yeah. a fifth of the way through the season and we're we're almost halfway there so um it's certainly in play and i agree that for the reasons you mentioned it's actually surprising to me that all three no hitters thus far have been complete game no hitters i would have expected like at least one of them to be you know combined no hitters so that's um, the possibility of a combined no hitter actually the, the 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 greater likelihood of more teams being willing you know like in 1991 they were in 90 they weren't taking pitchers out if they had no hitters going they, you know 100 right. pitchers in the fifth inning they're like you know let's let's keep pitching until until you have a hit um maybe not quite because actually as i learned the last uh orioles no hitter was i think was in 90, 90 or 91 and it was a combined no hitter yes, um, their, their last their last Individual hitter was like Jim Palmer, like 50 years ago or something. It's crazy. Yeah, I, was, no, I, was shocked, I was shocked by that. That is exactly right. Uh, the only thing that, that I got, I like no hitters when they are great pitchers doing great things. And I'm enthused by the names who did this, right? Like everybody said Joe Musgrove was a breakout guy entering the year. Clearly, at least one person thought John Means was going to be a breakout guy. And Carlos Verdun, you know, was like a top five pick or whatever who came back from injuries and he's throwing harder and he looks great. It's not like, I don't know. 
Mitch Keller threw a no hitter. I'm sorry, Mitch Keller, if you listen, but you know what I mean? It, it's not yeah, like totally total random guy. Before we leave this topic, um, I'm just going to pass this along because I just want to be able to say the name. If you're interested in the history of the third strike rule, Anthony Castrovince actually had written about this for us last year, and it dates back to a very primitive version of baseball from the 1700s. And I'm so happy to get to say this. The rule traces back to Johann Christoph Friedrich Gutsmuths, who was a German teacher and physical education advocate. And in 1796, he basically wrote in German uh, an athletic manual where this rule was mentioned. John Thorne is the official historian of MLB said it is perhaps the oldest surviving rule. And it is an odd rule. And I can't really argue with that. Everyone hates this rule. I don't hate it. But, you know, maybe I should. Maybe, maybe maybe if everyone else is right, then I am wrong. We will take a quick break and we will come back and we will talk about some other interesting rules of baseball. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work or, sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Matt, I think everyone has noticed that the Twins have not necessarily gotten off to the start they would have wanted to. Uh, I picked them to win the Central. I think you did as well, maybe. Or if not, you had them pretty highly up. And the Twins, you know, right now are 11 and 18. However, they are 0-6 in extra inning games. They are also 0-4 in seven inning games. So if you just look at traditional nine inning baseball games um, that have indefinite extra innings opportunities, the Twins are off to a great start. The Twins are a winning baseball team. I'm sure that's how they're looking at it. Um, have you noticed that there are a couple teams who've really been negatively impacted in extra innings, which, I mean, it has to just be randomness, right? Like it's super fluky, but the Twins are 0-6, the Braves are 0-4, and the Dodgers are one in six. I don't think those teams like this rule very much. <laughs> First off, I have to say, sometimes it's like you don't listen to anything I say because if anyone has been like <laughs> driving the White Sox bandwagon for like two years. I can't me. remember what like, I did yesterday. And you're like, oh, I think you picked the twins, didn't you? <laughs> I've like been unabashedly pushing the White Sox for literally like 12 months on this podcast. But thanks, thanks a lot. Can, can, I, can I just take a quick break to point out how sad I am that Luis Robert is hurt? And Eloy Jimenez is hurt, and not a White Sox, obviously, but Dustin May is hurt. Like there have been so many injuries to so many good guys, and I don't know who plays outfield for the White Sox. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's Bo Jackson, maybe it's Ivan Calderon. Um, pick your favorite White Sox outfielder of years past. 
Um, anyway, back to the topic at, <laughs> topic at hand. Um, yes, I do not think the Twins are liking the uh, extra inning rule very much. They are 11 and 18 overall, but as you said, um, 0 and 6 in extra innings. They have a negative one different negative one run differential. So like they should be, you would think they should be about 500. I mean, it's not like they played that extremely well, but um, there's definitely some flukiness going on. Um, thanks to the uh, the extra inning rule as well, as the, and then the Dodgers was it was it three straight extra inning games in 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 Chicago they lost, or is it just uh, last two? For, sorry, for the Dodgers you said? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember, but it sure feels that way. No, because <laughs> they had the double hitter the other day. No, I don't think that's what happened. But also, I don't really remember. Uh, there were three extra inning games yesterday on Wednesday. Um, so you mentioned the, the Cubs and the Dodgers. This one was interesting, right? Uh, it was a three-three tie after nine. The, the Dodgers scored in the top of the 10th and the Cubs tied it in the bottom of the 10th and the Dodgers scored in the top of the 11th and the Cubs scored two in the bottom of the 11th. Uh, the Tigers beat the Red Sox yesterday. It was also tied at three after nine. The Tigers scored three in the top of the 10th and the Cubs scored two in the bottom of the 10th. And Red right Sox there, scored, I think, Red, Red Sox scored two in the bottom. Right scored, yes, sorry. And right there, like I, I completely understand that a great many people are deeply offended to their core about the runner on second. Uh, and I'm I'm maybe a little indifferent, but it does generate action pretty clearly. <laughs> like, you know, can, can, can I actually actually I was going to make this my rant today, but you're actually oh. going to get a bonus. You're going to get a bonus rant from Sweet. me on this one. Yeah, so this is my this is my this was going to be my purpose pitch, but today I'll I'll insert it here, um, which is regardless of whether whatever you think of the runner on second rule, and I understand a lot of people are passionately against it. Um, I understand those arguments. Um, I you know. My rant, is, my rant isn't even about that. I'll just say that what I will you know, remind people, which has been discussed before, is like tons of sports do this. They change the rules in overtime yeah. to sort of like expedite the process. Yes. And I'll say this for baseball. The traditional extra inning rules, extra inning games in regular season are usually pretty boring and yes. really bad for the paying customer. I actually don't think that is an arguable. Like if you've ever been at a game, and I'm sure listeners of this of this podcast have been at a game, a night game during the regular season on a weeknight that has gone into extra innings, it's pretty annoying because you're sitting in your seat and you're like, oh, do I stay? Like, oh, what time do I have to be up tomorrow? Is this worth it? Like, what's the trade-off? I really want to see a resolution to this game, but like it's getting late. And this is like, you know, then suddenly you're just watching guys try and hit home runs and no one's getting on base. And it's just like a parade of relievers and a parade of guys trying to hit home runs. And then you're like, you know what, I'm going to go. Or you try and stay, and then your team loses in the 13th inning, and you're like, wait, why did I stick around for this? Like, because <laughs> this was a miserable four innings, and we lost anyway, and now it's midnight, and I have to be up at 8 a.m., and I'm cranky. So, I, like, this is, yeah. like, the, the rule, if nothing else, addresses that, that, like, for the people, now that we have fans back in the stands, like, for the people who are paying customers in the stands, this is a much better viewing experience because you get a resolution to the game, quickly and you don't have to worry about how long it's going to take because you know it's almost certainly not going to go more than 11 innings most likely 10 i've always looked at my enjoyment of extra inning games in like a, a v shape almost right like the 10th inning is exciting you know because it's a tie and it's like everybody's trying to win the game and then as it goes and like everyone's just trying to win it with a walk-off you know it's like okay the 11th the 12th the 13th the 14th and then eventually you get to like weird baseball but that takes like two and a half more hours. You know, like once you get to the 19th and the backup catcher is playing shortstop, you know, and the pitching coach is pitching or we've all seen some of those weird games like it gets fun again. Right. 
but it takes a long time to get there. And also I think the teams hate that because then you just ruin the pitching staff. So I'm, I'm with you. Like if you, if you hate it, I'm not going to change your mind because I'm, I'm not sure I feel strongly enough to try to do so. But in the sense of does it generate more action and end the games, you know, like any reasonable amount of, of quickness, like absolutely. Yes, it does. There was one other extra inning game yesterday. It was a scoreless tie after nine white Sox and reds. The Reds beat the White Sox one nothing in the tenth, and uh, Tony Larusa admitted he did not know the rule of the new game. And we've talked about Larusa a couple of times. So just to, to recap here, he, he um, had Liam Hendricks as the ghost runner on second, not realizing he could have gone with Jose Abreu, and that's like not a great look. But the part of it that made me laugh the most, I think, is when David Bell, who was the manager of the Reds, was asked about that. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we knew the rule. The The league made like a big push to make sure everyone knew the rule. <laughs> it's like, wow. OK, man. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll give LaRusa a slight not pass. I'll give him a slight benefit of the doubt just because he's an American League manager. Um, but I will. So like he doesn't really have to encounter this rule at all. Um, that said, his reputation as at least like, you know, when he was a manager was like, this guy will know every little quirk in the rule book. Yeah. And like, if anything happens, he will point it out and be the first to show you. And like, he's always going to have an edge in that part of the game to just, just to clarify, basically the rule states that, you know, the, the ghost runner, the, the automatic runner is supposed to be the player or the batting order position that made the last out of the previous inning. But if that batting order position is the pitcher spot, you are allowed to then go to the spot before that for, um, uh, the automatic runner. And so it was Liam Hendricks spot, but he could have had Jose Abreu was the spot before that be his runner. He didn't realize that. So he sent Liam Hendricks, who's like never been on base in his life, out to run at second base. In fact, earlier this season in a game, in like another quirky game, I forgot the exact specific circumstances, but like Luis Rojas actually like effectively did like a double switch in that scenario that helped the Mets win a game, which was like actually some pretty shrewd, the kind of thing that Larusa used to do uh, in his in his in his heyday of like exploit the rule book to his advantage in a way that people didn't realize. Yeah, and I wonder how much it impacted the strategy. Um, not that Jose Abreu is some kind of elite speedster because he's certainly not right, but he's a you know he's a position player. He's a, a smart, accomplished. You know he knows what he's doing on the bases even if he's not fast. And so when uh, the leadoff man Grandal walked and then Leary Garcia hit into a ground out, so that pushed Hendricks to third base, and that brought up Billy Hamilton and. Man, we've talked more about Billy Hamilton in the last three weeks than I think we have in the last five years, because <laughs> like Larusa seems to love him, and unsurprisingly, Billy Hamilton struck out after Garcia got caught stealing. And I'm wondering, with a man on third, with Billy Hamilton uh, hitting, he can probably lay down a pretty solid butt, right? Like I would love to have seen, you know, Abreu is not going to steal home, but you do a you do a safety squeeze, you do a suicide squeeze. You're not going to do that with Hendricks, and they didn't obviously. Do you do that with Abreu? Like that changes the whole scenario for me. With two points on that, one of which is also like Billy Hamilton. There's no chance he's going to hit a fly ball deep enough to score Hendricks. So like, he you're basically just counting on like a blooper to yeah. like you know basically like a blooper over the 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 uh, the drawn in infield to get a hit. The other factor is like, even if it if it was even if it, if he'd used Abreu, he also would have been more more willing, I bet, to pinch run for him. Because clearly he wanted Hendricks to stay in the game. He's like, I can't, you know, I want him to pitch another inning. I can't take him out. Whereas, like, at that point in the game, when Abreu's your ghost runner, you're like, you know what? His batting order spot's probably not going to come up again. It's more valuable. I get, you know, someone, I think he had, you know, I think he had, because um, he, he uh, uh, clearly wasn't going to pinch it for Billy Hamilton for some reason. I think he still had 
Adam Eaton on his bench, although he might have been unavailable, but maybe available to run. He had Zach Collins on his bench, and he had Danny Mendick on his bench. So, like any one of those guys, he might have said, "You know what? I'm just going to run for Abreu here because his batting order. There's like, it's way more important that I have a fast, a faster runner up here than the chance that like Abreu gets up again in like the 11th inning. Because as we've discussed in these extra inning rules, there's a good chance that's not going to happen. Right. And then in the bottom of the inning, Hendricks goes to the mound and he uh, ends up giving two singles and losing the game. You know, and I, it's hard to say whether having to run had any impact on that. Like, I'm not going to say he got exhausted by running a base. Like, that's not that big a deal. But does that change his his you know his focus? Like, does that change his warm up routine? I know he'd been in at the end of the previous inning there, but one of those unknowable things, I guess. Um, since we mentioned the the twins, our second topic is about Byron Buxton, but maybe not the Byron Buxton topic you might think. Obviously, Buxton is crushing the ball. He has a pretty decent case to make right now to be the American League MVP, right? Like you think about Otani and you think about Mike Trout and obviously there's other guys having good seasons, but Buxton's been great. And if you think about what's held him back over the last couple of years, I mean, some of it's just been the consistency of making enough contact and not trying to, uh, you know, hit the ball into the ground like he used to do, but a lot of it's just been injuries, you know? And I was listening to the uh, serious uh, MLB Network radio the other day and Twins manager Rocco Baldelli was on. And he said something interesting, and uh, I'm going to quote here. He said, Buxton's the kind of guy who would, would play a little shallower, and he'd turn and go, and he'd burn up a lot of ground, and he'd make catches on the warning track up against the wall, and he'd still be moving, literally flying at full speed towards the wall, and we're watching it going, Ugh, and he's watching it making plays and then taking the brunt of the collision. And we've seen that happen, right? Like We've seen him run into the wall and get hurt, and I, I found that pretty interesting. So I went and I looked up his depth, and you can see there's a pretty consistent trend here. Right. Like in 2017, for example, he played 313 feet deep and that was the 12th shallowest of 71 center fielders. Well, this year, the, starting last year, really, but that 313 is now back to 327, which is tied for sixth deepest um, of, of 49 center fielders who've been on the field for 250 batters. And we've talked about center field depth before and we've talked about guys playing deeper before, but almost every single time we've talked about it over the years, it's to kind of like mask a guy who shouldn't really be playing center field anymore you know like a couple years ago it was mccutcheon and fowler and i think this year in the spring it was brandon nimmo you know like mccutcheon had been a good center fielder but at that point he wasn't really you know capable of playing there and nimmo probably shouldn't be in center but buxton's amazing buxton's like one of the two best defensive outfielders in baseball from my point of view so i think it's kind of interesting to see that he's moving back for a very different reason which is not to improve his uh, play, but to try to avoid getting himself killed because he runs too fast and he slams into the wall. That's uh, that's a new one for us. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's good to see healthy Byron Ruxton. He's like having, you know, an amazing season, knock on wood. Hopefully it continues. And I also think it's just like a thing that, you know, teams have just also just beyond, just, you know, just like wised up on. Like, you know, play guys deeper. We'll risk more singles if we can, you know, prevent extra bases. It's just like kind of, you know, Good strategy. <laughs> I, I'm glad you brought that up because I looked at slugging percentage on non-homers to center field for the Twins. And obviously this isn't all Buxton because he's been hurt over the years, but you know, bear with me here. If you look back over the last five years, starting in 2017, slugging percentage on those balls, you know, 332, then 364, then 349. And then last year he starts playing deeper, 303. This year it's 273. You know, so are there more singles dropping in a little bit? It, probably. Is he cutting down an extra base hits? It seems so. And most importantly, is he keeping himself healthy? Yes, because we've been saying for three or four years now, one of these years, there's going to be a fully healthy MVP Byron Buxton season. And I think this is it. I think it's finally happening. 
Our third topic here, we rolled out some StatCast Park Factors on Baseball Savant last week. And if you're not familiar with Park Factors, basically, you know, there's lots of versions. This has been a baseball topic for decades, but they all kind of come back to the same idea, which is 100 is league average. And this park is some percent above or below that number overall or in homers or in doubles or whatever. And, uh, you know, you should go check them out. I think there's some pretty interesting stuff. Like you will not be surprised to find out that Coors Field is the best hitters park. I know I'm stunned. That's like the first smell test when we got the numbers is like, does it say Coors? Yes. Okay. If it doesn't, it's broken. need to fix it at the bottom. It's like, you know, Oracle, uh, Miami and Seattle. But what's kind of cool is there's also these venue pages. You can go to any venue, any ballpark and kind of look at how their numbers have changed over the years. And many of them haven't, you know, like Fenway hasn't really changed much over the years. It is what it is. The one that stood out to me was Angel Stadium in Anaheim, because if you look at their home runs for righties, it's been kind of consistently like average to below average uh, so far as a hitter's park go. And for many years, that was also the same thing for lefties, except over the last three years, it has become the best lefty home run park in baseball. I feel like I need to explain briefly how this works. It is not just because they got Shohei Otani. Like, it's not how it works. It compares home runs, uh, you know, it takes into account the identities of the players and the pitchers. But what these do is they they look at the performance at a stadium uh, compared to performance at all other stadiums. And it's not just the lineup, it's the pitching staff too. So to give you an example here, uh, for, for 2014 to 2017, just looking at lefty homers, there were 216 lefty homers in home angels games and 250 lefty homers in road angels games, right? A little, a little harder to homer at angel stadium than other places. If you're a lefty, well, over the last four seasons, 252 lefty homers in home angels games and 188 in road angels games. Like I said, it is the most favorable lefty home run hitting park in baseball right now. That's right. More than Yankee stadium. People don't like to believe that that's true, but it's true. And when I went to go try to figure out why, um, there are two things that popped up. The one obvious thing was that prior to the 2018 season, they lowered the height of the wall in right field from 18 feet to eight feet. Well, there you go. That's helpful. The wall's not in the way, hit more home runs. But the other thing that same winter, and this is a lot harder to quantify, but I'm sure it's true. They added a ton of new video boards. They added a 9,500 square foot video screening, right? Oh, is that, 5, is that it? <laughs> yeah, no, listen, I'm not done yet. They added a 5,488 square foot video display in left. Overall, more than 23,000 square feet of video screens. And I can't sit here and tell you exactly what that did. But I cannot pretend that that did nothing. I mean, wind patterns mattered, right? <laughs> like whatever they did intentionally or not. Uh, and it's not just because Otani's there. If you want to hit home runs and you're a lefty, go to Anaheim. Shockingly, I've learned something now. That is wild. <laughs> and also, I actually, I just looked it up. Otani actually has more home runs on the uh, on the road this year than he has at home, to your point before about this not just being, you know, oh, Oh, you know, Tony's got nine home runs. It's just because he's playing in this park. It's like, I mean, it's certainly helping him, but it's not like this is one of those where he's like, you know, eight one at home, home versus away. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to like get someone from the Angels on the phone and say, uh, did you know this is going to happen? Are, did you guys plan for this or are you just like stunned by it? The, um, the other one that stood out to me is I don't think people understand what a home run park, Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati is, right? Like if you look at Overall offense, obviously Coors Field is the best, right? It's huge. You get more non-home run hits. It's, it's fewer strikeouts for all the reasons we've talked about ad nauseum for years. 
but it's not the best home run park because the outfield is enormous. The best home run park is Cincinnati, like by kind of a lot. So over the last three years, from 2019 to 21, the home run park factor in Cincinnati, where again, 100 is average, is 133. There are 33% more home runs in Reds games at home than on the road. And this has been true for like every single year. And I think this is the best way to explain it. The park opened in 2003. Since then, in Reds games at home, there have been 3,772 home runs. And in Reds games on the road, 3,027 home runs. 750 something more home runs at home than on the road. This one's no surprise. Like it's a small, cozy, comfy ballpark. Even this year, it has 59 home runs. That's the most in baseball. No other park has more than 46. City Field is 11. I know the Mets like had their schedule all messed up and I know no one's hitting. And I know DeGrom and the pitcher staff is really good, but 11? There was a game the <laughs> other day. There was a game the other day, Reds Cubs in Cincinnati, where there was 10 in that one game. <laughs> and City Field has 11. What What is that about? <laughs> Great American Ballpark is like, you know, everyone talks about like right field at Yankee Stadium, how you get those like cheap home runs that are just look like routine fly balls. Great American Ballpark is basically the same thing in right field where like anytime it's you see, you, you notice it most with like righties. I feel like when righties sort of hit these like, you know, like, oh, like solidly hit, you know, fly ball the opposite field. And it's like, oh, wait, that's actually going to go out, isn't it? Um, those are the two parks where you really, where it really stands out in right field. And I think that like, it just doesn't get nearly as much attention, but it's a, uh, it's a thing, man. It is. And uh, Nicholas Castellanos, by the way, this year, eight of his nine home runs are at home. He's slugging 862 at home and 400 on the road. This is deeply ironic because he spent years as a Tiger complaining about the dimensions of Comerica. And yet, if he actually looked into it, he slugged better at home in Comerica than he did on the road. Comerica, actually a hitter's park. I've been saying this for a while. We'll take a quick break and we will come back with players you need to know and our rents. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week, Matt and I like to highlight a lesser known player that we feel like you should know a little more about. And each week, I try my best not to just pick a random reliever because there are so many of them. And yet here I am. I have a random reliever. And I promise I actually picked this guy before John Means threw his no hitter. So this is not intentionally to be like a uh, pro Orioles podcast. And yet here we are. Cole Sulser, who is 31 years old. He was a 25th round pick by Cleveland in 2013. And if you knew him at all, it's because he was traded to Tampa Bay in the immortal Yandy Diaz deal of 2018 and didn't actually do much for Tampa Bay. At the end of the 2019 season, he was lost to Baltimore on waivers and didn't do much for them last year either. In 2019 and 20 for the Rays and O's, he had a 420 ERA in 30 innings pitched. 
Now you might be wondering, why do I care about this over a 30 reliever with not much of a track record at all? Well, so far this year, 15 strikeouts and one walk with one earned run. A has added six inches of drop to his changeup. He's like quietly become really good. And I was thinking to myself when I looked up his stats the other day, and I'm like, why do I know this guy? It can't be because of Yandy Diaz. Like he just didn't do that much. And then I remember over the winter, I went and I tried to like identify similar pitches to those of aces. Like for example, I looked up, I think like Shane Bieber's curveball. And I was looking at the velocity and the, the spin and the movement and the release and the way it moved and all that kind of stuff. And I tried my best to find the most similar pitches to that. And so when I did it for fastballs, I did it for Trevor Bauer. Here are the names that popped up. Uh, Tyler Molly, who popular breakout pitch is having a really good year. Richard Rodriguez, who is a guy I probably could have talked about here because he's been a really good reliever for the Pirates. Uh, ben Heller, who's been hurt, and Jacob Webb, who's been okay. Cole Salser. Cole Salser throws Trevor Bauer's fastball. Uh, don't look that up. It's definitely true. But hey, he's been a really interesting guy for a really interesting Baltimore team. That is interesting. I'll take. I'll, I'll, I'll allow the. Uh, I will allow the, the reliever this time. Next week, no, no reliever. Um, I did not go with a reliever this week. I went with Rangers outfielder um, Adolis Garcia, who I'm not sure if he's really good, but man, he's a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, he is, uh, has 56 balls in play, 11 of which are barrels. In fact, he actually had a barrel last night um, that was a, a three-run home run that was taken away on review because it was just foul. So he's actually like a hidden barrel in there. Um, roughly 20% of his batted balls are barrels. He basically has the same barrel rate as Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. Of course, he strikes out a lot um, and he doesn't walk a ton, but he hits the ball really hard. And he also has other – his other um, sort of uh, – Performance metrics, um, outs above average and sprint speed are all well above average. Um, so, you know, 90th or like 85th and the 90th percentile. So like, even if he's not like a star, he can do enough things that like he's a useful player and he is fun to watch. He also has like a really interesting um, backstory. Um, he came out of uh, out of Cuba and he played in uh, Serie Nacional for five years and also in Japan for one series for one season. Um, he was the uh, MVP of Serie Nacional in 2016, and the Cardinals signed him. Um, and he bounced around the Cardinals system for a few years. Um, in fact, he in 2019 he hit 253, 301, 517 for Triple A Memphis with 32 homers. And you're like, and then the Cardinals designated him for assignment. And it's like, well, why would the Cardinals designate for assignment a guy who just hit you know 32 home runs in the minor leagues? Well, this was 2019 in the Pacific, what was then known as the Pacific Coast League which was even by the standards of the PCL was like a crazy offensive environment in a 16 team league, 40 players slugged above 500, which comes out to 2.5 players per team. So it was really hard to, um, to, to contextualize like, oh, what, what can this guy do? Um, so the Rangers acquired him um, for cash considerations when the, uh, the Cardinals EFA'd him to make room for Kwang Hyun Kim, who they'd signed out of um, Korea. And now Garcia has been getting playing time for the Rangers, and um, he's kind of raking. It's more just like on a team that doesn't have that much, you know, rebuilding team that doesn't have a ton to offer. He's um, a lot of fun. It's also like, you know, last year the, uh, the, the, the Cardinals got a lot of heat for, you know, kind of throwing in Randy Rosarena into a trade, um, another Cuban outfielder, and him going up and blowing up at the Rays. And now we've got Garcia, who looks like another guy that the Cardinals might have just kind of given away. Um, so uh, it's, uh, 
he's an interesting name. Someone I've been enjoying watch. Someone I've been enjoying watching. I was I was wondering if you were specifically trying to stab Cardinals fans in the heart here because <laughs> it's, it's not just a Rosa Rayner, right? It's like Luke Voigt and Tommy Pham, and I feel like there's somebody else I'm forgetting too. Uh, I guess yeah, Marcelo Zuna. Now I I do want to make one point here that I, I don't think you mentioned. It is true that the Cardinals DFA'd him, right? And then eventually it was traded to Texas for cash. The Rangers also ended up DFAing him. They designated <laughs> him on February 10th so they could sign Mike Fultonevich. And nobody actually ended up claiming him or signing <laughs> him. And he came to spring training as a as a non-roster guy. And I don't think he made the opening day roster. I don't think he was up for like <laughs> a week or two into the season. <laughs> So, well, you know, well, I don't want to I don't want to kill the Cardinals here too much. Well, I also, want, I also I'll give the Cardinals a bit of the doubt also because um, Rainer Rosarino, by the way, has been terrible this year thus far. He's like basically not he's hitting the, he's a negative launch angle thus far this year. And um, and uh, so he really hasn't been that good. But I, I think he will probably turn things around a little bit. A couple of points I'll make. Yes, they had Luke Voigt. They did get Giovanni Gallegos in that deal. And Giovanni Gallegos is really good. Tommy Pham hasn't been nearly as good since leaving the Cardinals, so I'll give them a little bit of uh, a break on that. However, there was one player that I, in, in doing research for this, doing research on Garcia, that I discovered the Cardinals once had that I had no idea the Cardinals once had, which is Zach Gallon. I had totally yeah. forgotten. Isn't I, the Ozuna trade? Exactly. I, I'll admit I did not know this. I thought he had been originally drafted by the Marlins. Zach Gallon has a fascinating trade tree. He was yes. drafted by the Cardinals. He's in the Ozuna trade, and then he was traded for Jazz to his own. Um, it's a it's a pretty interesting uh, uh, career path career path for him. So the Cardinals have really had a lot of interesting players come and go the last few years that have kind of really changed the shape of a lot of a lot of franchises. Yes, uh, two two things here. A Rosarena has not lived up to expectations, but I'm going to push back a little bit on him being terrible. He's got a he's got a 120 win runs created plus. Like he's still doing okay there. I, I guess uh, it's more. They, I should say the. I guess the the, the batted ball is, is like is uh, is. Uh, Alar- not, I guess, alarming, but the, yeah, the uh, the negative launch angle stands out to me. I will say that. At the second, you mentioned Giovanni Gallegos being great, and I'm so with you on that. And that is because if you were to go back to my Twitter feed on July 28th, 2018, or whatever date that Voight trade was actually made, where you know the Cardinals or whoever tweeted that they had traded Luke Voight for Giovanni Gallegos, and I tweeted, I love this trade for St. Louis. <laughs> and listen, I know Voight like ended up being very good and that's, that's wonderful. But yeah, Gallegos has been good. He, he's been really good when he's been healthy. And I, that is why I remember that because otherwise, oof. Um, let's move on to our purpose pitch each week. Matt and I pick something to rant about. Here's mine. Like Giancarlo Stanton. That's, that's like, that's the nuts and bolts of it right there. Listen, Giancarlo Stanton this year has been fantastic. Right. And I know like he, you know, he didn't get off to a great start. The Yankees did not get off to a great start. Shockingly, the Yankees are winning again. Who would have possibly seen that coming? Stanton has been unbelievable over the last like two weeks or so. You go back to, over his last 11 games, uh, he's hitting 500 with five homers. He's slugging nearly 900. He's been amazing. And yet everyone still seems to dislike him in some sense. Like, I guess I understand that if a guy is not performing that after a while you don't care if he hit the ball like 119 miles an hour on a single. Like I, I get that that can be a bit much at times, uh, but I also fully believe that no one in the history of this sport has hit the ball as hard as he does as regularly. And people are like, oh, Babe Ruth. No, no, not Babe Ruth. <laughs> Ted Wood, no, no. Melot, no, absolutely not. Mark McGuire, I guess maybe, you know, we don't know. But like I will go to the wall and say Stanton has hit the ball harder 
that anyone ever has. And it's not just like the home runs. It's funny. I see him going like opposite field singles against the shift and that ball's out of the infield in like one half of a second. And you can't tell me that doesn't matter if you're trying to like even just get a single through the infield. Less time for a fielder to react is a good thing. And I, I get it. He's been hurt, right? Has not played much over the last two years. Totally understand that. He strikes out like higher than average, but not as much as people seem to think he does. Like he's never had a full season with a 30% strikeout rate. I get that that should not be a badge of honor, but in today's game, it kind of is. And every single time he's on the field, he performs um, for his career is 45% better than average this year, 71% better than average. Even in his first three years at the Yankees, when he didn't know his play every day, 32% better than average. And yet every time somebody says something positive about him, it's either, well, it doesn't make enough contact or he's hurt or it doesn't matter how hard he hits the ball or he's overpaid. And it's like, can I argue with any of that? I guess not, but enjoy the man who's doing something that no one has ever done before and is helping the Yankees win. Enjoy John Carlos. I will say this about Stanton. He's the one player where like, if I see like a Twitter, like, you know, alert, like Homer, I want to see it. He's the one player in baseball that I want to see every Homer that he hits. There's just something very visually satisfying about his home runs in a way that no one else's are. Um, And I think that that's part, I think for a lot of people, it's just like the frustration that he's been like, Hurt so much, and he had that one crazy season um, with the Marlins when he won MVP, and he's just like never replicated it. So I think a lot of it's just frustration. But thus far, he's having he's basically having that that season um, uh, again. Um, my purpose pitch is about the NL East and really about contextualizing divisions in general. You know, coming into the year, there's a lot of talk of like, oh, the NL East is going to be so good. And the teams are, you know, it's, oh, they're really going to be battling it out. And now the narrative is like, oh, what a disappointing division it is. Only one team is above 500. None of these teams are any good. And part of me is like, that might be true. Because trust me, I've watched a lot of Mets games. They don't look very good thus far. But it also just might be the fact that the teams are evenly matched. Because if you have five teams and there's no real bottom feeder, you're it's hard for a team to like go out go out and run away with a division because we don't play a balanced schedule. You play your division a lot more than you play other divisions. So when there's no bottom feeder, you're not going to be able to like rack up wins against you know some you know awful team. You know, for example, no one in the division has played the Pirates yet. That's a good way to rack up wins. Um, and then you look at like the Rockies in the NL West. They are seven and sixteen against the NL West. So the other teams, the NL West, you know, like the Giants are, and the Dodgers and the Padres were able to like beat up on the Rockies. The Tigers are four and twelve against the AL Central. So the other teams in that division are beating up on the Tigers. So I think it's kind of too early to say. And it's also something just to keep in mind that it, this might last all year. Like it's possible that someone might win the AL NL East with you know ninety wins or eighty nine wins. But it might not be because the teams are disappointing. It might just be because there's no really bad team. Even the Marlins right now have like basically league average or above in both hitting um, and pitching. They're not, you know, they're 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 not a pushover. Uh, no, these teams all stink. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, I have been pretty vocally out on Washington for like the entire season. I, I just do not like anything about that team other than you know Scherzer and Juan's. Uh, a traitor, I guess. The Phillies are somehow in first place, but they've been a really hard watch this year. Like Bryce Harper's been great. Like he's been phenomenal, but he, he's banged up. And I don't, they don't have like a center fielder. They don't have a second baseman. They, they I mean, Real Muto is good, obviously. 
Um, their bullpen has been better than last year, only in the sense that last year's bullpen was the worst bullpen ever. You know, like it's still been really rough. The Braves have not been able to like get out of their own way, Acuna aside. And the Mets, well, I mean, they're generally still at peak Mets, uh, and yet I still think they're probably the best team in the division. Like Lindor <laughs> will hit. I'm not, I'm not worried about Lindor hitting. You know, the pitching looks really good. I didn't love it that after the uh, the pair of hitting coaches got fired that like yesterday after they lost Luis Rojas is like we didn't have much of a hitting plan out there yesterday that's that's a great look for the new hitting coaches so there's well, that it's not a great look for the if you're the manager who hey wasn't hired by the current regime and was the second choice of the previous regime you might want to keep quiet about that I was in my car yesterday <laughs> listening to the local New York sports radio and they were they had Rojas on and the hosts like kept asking him like were you involved in this in this conversation? And like, when did you know? And he kept saying uh, it was an organizational decision. Like he said it like 11 times. And they're like, OK, yeah, it, that definitely feels like what it was for sure. And <laughs> despite all that, I, I picked the Braves and I kind of regret it now, honestly, because the, the Braves, there's a lot of weakness there. Acuna's great, right? Freddie Freeman will be fine. Um, Ozuna has to be better than he's been. And, you know, they get Soroka back. Uh, but I, I think the Mets pitching staff is so good. And since this seems like DeGrom being sidelined is not that big a deal, Lindor's going to hit up. I think he's not going to be the guy he was three years ago, but he's not this guy either, right? I think that's probably what we talked about this week. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Anyway, um, I guess we'll check back on that in a couple weeks because I feel like that's not the last time we will talk about the Mets this year. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We'll see you next week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB.